right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science in between. Yeah, and this is Scott. And I'm Ollie. Yep, there you go. Look at that. Wow. Out of the gates hot. Boom. Right. Woo. All right, we can just, you know, call it a day right there. There it is. Show's over. Yeah, catch you next time. When you're that good. (laughs) Catch you next time. (laughs) In between. (laughs) Oh, there we go. Yeah. Little rituals. Um, okay, so this is you. This is, this is you, me. You're, you're framing it. Today is my problem. Yep. So, um, so one of the things, so we, we've been talking about the fact that we're doing some professional development for the state. Um, and one of the questions that we've been getting asked a lot because this transition from traditional pedagogy to ambitious forms of practice, uh, especially when we're talking about state level transition. So sure. whole the whole state making this move, there's a lot of pieces there, right? You need to have the leadership piece in place. You've got to have the curriculum piece in place. You've got to have the practices, which is what we do, this sort of teaching in place. Right. All that stuff works together, but also has to work in parallel and <clears throat> making change across all those different areas is really hard. And so the folks that we're working with in the IUs have to do that. They have to, on some level, manage all that change. They don't have to make it all, but they have to think about how to manage it and how to support it um, at at a, a slightly smaller than state scale because the IUs, there's 29 of them, but but it's still multiple districts, multiple schools, lots of teachers trying to think about how do, how do a couple people support all that. So a question we've been getting a lot is like, where do you start with this? Like, how do you, what's the entry point? How do you, you know, teachers come to us or districts come to us and they say, okay, we want, we want to start doing this work. Like, where do we start? Um, So I I wanted to talk about that. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about um, was related to that is this idea of, um, you know, for lack of a better way of describing it, give me the right answers in that. So tell me, give me the, the the sheet that says okay start here do this next do this next and for each of those do next here are the three two three things that everybody really needs to know right and so to to lay that out like for lack of a better way of describing it a curriculum right that's sort of but but not even a curriculum it's more like almost like the objectives and the the order of the objectives yeah. so i wanted to talk about that and 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 how um teaching practices uh, are a complicated space to think about those kinds of things. So, so a couple of things I, I think we need to probably just, you know, back up just a, a couple of minutes um, because one, I think that um, if someone's listening outside of Pennsylvania, your, your state might be ahead of this because, yeah. you know, the, 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 the next generation of science standards have been r- around for a while and you know, Pen- Pennsylvania has kind of dragged their feet a little bit. I think some of it was political. Um, you know, they were, there was, some political will or not political will to do it. And then um, they finally got them um, approved just recently. And now, you know, we had a change in, in administration. We have a new governor come, who came in and now, you know, it was kind of handed off, you know, this, this initiative of getting uh, this. And and I think it's been kind of, I would say, I don't want to say bumpy, but it's, it's been kind of fits and starts, you know, because I think that during that time of, of transition, 
the people who were, you know, carrying the baton tried to pass it off to the next person. It was not always clearly defined as to who the next person was going to be or what they were going to do with that baton, you know. And and while the, I think the state has provided some really good, you know, sort of scaffolded, you know, timeline as to what's going to happen um, at different levels, like you described the different levels. Yeah. Um, I think they've they've provided like sort of a roadmap of what that should look like, where they are on that roadmap, and is you know it's it's not all always clear. I think the other piece that's critical is you mentioned IUs, and these are things called intermediate units, and that's a structure that's really unique to Pennsylvania. Um, I don't know like at whether every state has an intermediate unit, um, but it's sort of like a structure that sits above school districts. But below like the Department of Education. So and I don't even know if like a lot of parents would even know, you know, if if that thing exists. Right. Or right. like with whether people, you know, and, and you know, the, you know, everyday person would go, yeah, I know what an intermediate unit is. I mean, I would say if you're if you're someone whose kid receives services from an intermediate unit that they'd probably know and they go, oh, that's something that the IU offers, whether it's for giftedness or for, um, you know, some sort of exceptionality. Um, those types of things, you know, are pro- sometimes provided by intermediates, but they sit above school districts. So an intermediate unit would, you know, like you said, maybe have like 12, 15 different districts, you know, depending on the area. Maybe right, in some areas area. smaller, you know, a smaller number because it was very, very rural. So they might have like five, you know. And, or smaller because they're in an urban center and they're large. Right. So they just serve one right. large district, essentially. Right. Yeah. So, but we're working with the IUs. We're working with the intermediate units who are going to be the people who ultimately are going to be working with school districts. And we sort of have a plan of what that's going to look like. You know, we just actually met as a group to try to figure out like the next stage of of our work with the state, um, which is kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. But we are getting those answers and we're going to be getting, I mean, those questions from from our folks. Like, okay, how do we do this with districts? Like, what's the what's the thing we do? And I think the place to start for me is really um, understanding discourse-based practice, right? That's the thing. Like, mm. who's who's talking, right? I think that's the that's the thing that is 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 a critical first step. I mean, if if teachers, if you come in and you see the teacher is the only person talking, then that's a it's a real clear indication that um, it's not it's not, it's not this, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I struggle with this because, you know, and maybe it's the academic in me, but but part of me does want folks to understand the foundational, I, would, I won't even say research, but thinking about learning that undergirds right. all this, right? To understand sociocultural ways of understanding learning because <clears throat> because it, otherwise it feels like there's not a motivation for why the talk, right? Because one of the questions that you always get about the talk is, oh, well, kids are going to come up with wrong ideas and then other kids are going to learn those wrong ideas from them. And so if I just let my kids talk about science, there's going to be all these, I'm going to use that word, misconceptions that are going to get picked up by the kids in class. And so so for me, there's this going, I feel like maybe even before or as part of talking about that that bit about um you know about talk because i agree with you 100% like the the main shift between the traditional forms of practice and, and ambitious is this shift towards who has agency in the classroom and therefore yeah. who's doing the talking and reasoning and that's that should be the main shift kids should be talking kids should be thinking about science but <clears throat> i do wonder about 
that stepping back and saying like, okay, maybe we need to look at Brown Collins and Duguid and 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 why cognitive apprenticeship and mm-hmm. forms of initial sociocultural because that one for me is so easy. Like if you read that paper, um, situated learning in the cult situated. Oh my gosh, I always get it wrong. I'll I'll find it again. But it's like situated learning in the culture of something. Why can't I remember this? Brain body. I don't know. Anyway, great paper from a long time ago, 1989, um, by three, um, three, I would say now we would call them learning scientists, but, but, um, but it's, it, it was a transition paper where the work of Vygotsky was really starting to impact people's thinking about learning and this transition away from sort of individual cognition into thinking about, how do we how does knowledge get built socially um and and as a result talking about how learning something in a decontextualized way which is to say out of out of the practices in which that knowledge was developed you you don't actually learn that stuff very well and you learn it in a very different way that's not particularly useful for for what you want which is people being able to engage in the practice and um so you know, we dedicated think- if we dedicated an episode on talking specifically about that, like we had a right. seminal articles, seminal, you know, research articles that, you know, um, we thought were like important to share. And so that was one of them. Yeah. Um, but that goes back. Oh, gosh. Like, you know, probably it was in the teens someplace. Yeah, we'll know, we'll dig it up and put it in show notes. But it's called Situated Cognition and the Culture of Learning. That's the it's not situated learning. So it's Situated Cognition and the Culture of Learning from 1989 by Brown Collins and Do Good. It is it's one of those papers that's been cited like I don't know twenty thousand times, fifteen thousand times. It's 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 an incredibly um, important piece of of theory. Um, and it's also, I think another reason it's been cited a lot is it's pretty easy to read. It's not, it's not a, it's not, it's not really high flutin language, right? It's so, um, but anyway, I, I, I do think there has to be some, and, and again, I can't decide how to, how to deal with this because I know just telling them stuff doesn't work, right? We, you and I both know this. So the question is, how do you get people to engage with this idea that, yeah, it's about changes in talk, but it's about fundamentally understanding how learning happens in a very different way than we traditionally think about it. Because if we think about it in this very, you know, cognitive, um, you know, content focused information processing sort of model where it's like, all I need to do is get the information in a form that's easily digestible by the kid. And then the kid can bring it in and process it into their memory banks. Like, that that sort of simplistic way of thinking about the way learning happens it, it is just fundamentally not going to help you understand the change in practice. But I think that if someone's asking us for the entry point and they're saying, what are the three yeah. bullets I have to share on a PowerPoint slide? Um, then they, I, I don't think they're going to get very far. No, I, well, because, because what they're, what, I mean, if we're really, situating this work that what we do is we engage people through discourse learning happens by socially constructing you know our understanding with others mm. but then somebody comes in and just transmits information right well that's right? why the three bullets is right right I, and but i think that's the the challenge is that like you know in order to to really move the needle on this 
mm-hmm. you as a you, we, or whoever's the person leading it has got to engage the people in the way that we're like, it's, it's not just modeling it, but it's using that to, you know, to really move the needle in terms of how people learn. And then people, the people learning aren't just the students in the classroom, but it's the teachers we're working with. Yeah. Right. And so we've got to just embody those practices. And so it's not like, okay, because these folks are adults, we're going to like transmit them through PowerPoint slides. They're going to sit there passively. Right. And then we're just going to like, just transmit information and go off and do this. You know, that's, that's a flawed model. It's a flawed model if that's the, the expectation. And so what we have to do is we have to, as much as possible, embody this, model it, you know, it's, it's, it's the cognitive apprenticeship that we have to do, right? Mm-hmm. We have to do that work. We have to to model it. We have to, you know, um, coach them, guide them through the practice of it. We have to show what that looks like because telling them, hey, you've got to fundamentally change the discourse practices in your classroom and change the way kids interact with not just with the content but with their own learning, That's that's something we just can't, you know synthesized down to bullet points on the slide. No, well, and it it goes back to, you know, like you said, it's not about modeling. It's like, if this is the way people learn, this is the way people learn. It's not like this is the way some people learn. And then these other people who are different learn differently. And I think to this point about bullet points, and the reason discourse and talk is so important is, you know, (sighs) human language is really messy, complicated, and interpretive, right? And so if I put bullet points up there and I say, hey, you know what's really important? Kids talking. If 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 the teacher is talking too much and the kids are not talking enough, that's bad. Well, okay, so if that's my bullet point, I can interpret that lots of ways. Right. And lots of the ways that I interpret that do not lead to ambitious science teaching. They lead to some weird version of it where the teacher is trying to get all the kids to say the right answer without directly asking them the you know to say the right answer and it becomes this awkward dance that's uncomfortable for everybody and nobody learns anything so so this is the problem with bullet points is that they don't they have no nuance yeah. and and they don't help you actually understand that practice which is what we're talking about always on this show practice <laughs> Um, practice is not easily transmittable through bullet points. You know, again, you can pick anything you want. We, uh, you know, you and I both picked lots of different analogies for this, playing guitar, riding a bike, uh, being a good partner. Like, can I give you the bullet points for that? Yes, maybe if it, but if you misinterpret those bullet points, you end up a very bad bike rider, a very bad guitar player, or a very bad partner, right? So, so this idea of like, oh, I can just tell you in three bullet points what's the most important thing, it, it it just doesn't make sense. And on some level, we all know that, but we desperately want the three bullets because we only have so much time. We're like, just give me the bullets so I can give them the bullets, and then I'll feel like I've done my job. Right. Well, it, I one of the things that like. I I don't know. One of my literacy friends said this at some point, the reader makes meaning of the text. The person who's actually reading it is the person who makes meaning. And I was like, oh, and that's the part that's the struggle with, you know, using, you know, written word as being, you know, because like we, if we put something as simple as like dog on the page, 
you know, we're going to have like an infinite number of representations of what that dog's going to look like. Cause I'm thinking of, sure. you know, my dog Perry, and you're thinking of a golden retriever and somebody else is thinking of black lab. Somebody else is thinking of, you know, something else, mm-hmm. you know? And so we all make meaning. And, and I, this came up, I don't know if I said this in a previous episode, but recently we, we talked about text-based, I'm, I'm teaching a course that's paired with a qualitative class with some doctoral students right now. We're talking about text-based forms of data and how that's really interpretive and how the challenges with text-based data. And I was like, hey, have you ever seen that Key and Peele episode where they're texting back and forth to each other? You ever see this? <laughs> yes. You know, I just want to talk. And it's like, hey, you know, uh, do you want to hang out? Do you want to hang out? And it's like the one person is like really reading it as being a confrontational, you know, text. And the other one's being, oh, dude, you're so awesome, you know? <laughs> Google it. There's a censored version and an uncensored version. I would say, you know, depending on your uh, your interest, I would start with the <laughs> your interest. Your interest yes. in hearing curse words. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and if you're going to share that with a classroom of students, like I did, don't make my the mistake I made by showing the the uncensored version to a group oh. of students. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. After well, like I will... the tenth f bomb, I was like, okay, let's just okay. Uh... We're gonna <laughs> take a step back from this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, well, and as long as we're on key and peel, the substitute teacher one. Yes. Oh my gosh, I I still like I have one of my students that I still call AA Ron because of yeah. that. But that yeah, I mean those guys are geniuses. Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. so All key right. and peel texting add it to your list. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I mean I, I think, also you know uh, not to not to continue on that rabbit hole. It that seems peel, like you're going to though. Yeah, I am. It's the it's the uh the, the football games where they came on. Oh, and yeah. they come on and they uh, they say who their 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 uh you know they say their names and who they're what school they're from. That's brilliant too. Yeah, I could watch donkey that. teeth. <laughs> yes. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and the one guy watch. who just makes a screeching noise, and yeah. they've all got different hairstyles, but it's just the two of them going back and forth. There's a lot of Penn State references in that, you know, because because yeah. uh, because Keegan Michael Key um, is a uh, Penn State grad. I'm just going to call yes. that out. Yeah, right. Yeah. So there you go. So okay, so that's the end of that rabbit hole. Now I feel like sure. we're in that Super Bowl commercial. I'm sorry, that was all. Holes. That was all me. That was, was all. Me. That one was all you. I'm going to put the show I, notes. Right, <clears throat> but I think it it comes back to you know. Uh, how do people make meaning? How do they like, and if you're going to rely on text-based things, then it's going to be a struggle because that's where I think when you put up like, okay, you know, we want students to talk, right? They're going to go, yeah, I already do that. Yeah. I already do that. Uh, Cause they're in their head, they go, my students talk. I do think pair shares with them. Sure. I do, you know, I, I you know, I do questions at the end of my notes to see if they right. have any questions. And I some, ask some, them. I ask them questions. I ask them. I go, does anybody have any questions? Yeah. And they and they don't have any. So yeah. clearly that's, yeah. Yeah. And so. The, yeah. So I think the place that we, when we, when someone sa- says, where do we start? I think it's starting with their own. We should, like, they should be starting with their own perceptions of how practice happens and how learning happens yeah. and how, and they have to say, okay, how does that connect with what the next generation generation science standards are promoting? And how do I convey that to the people I'm working with? How do I best convey that? Because it's not going to be, Hey, I'm just going to tell you that these are the, you know, you know, these are the the new science standards here, the DCIs, the SCPs, the just throw like content at them because it's not going to, it's not going to change practice. 
No. Well, and yeah, I do. I mean, I recognize the difficulty in this because the other, the other thing that you get, and I've had this, you know, with, with in smaller contexts where I'm working more collaboratively and long-term with, with um, partners in school districts is like, they want the change to happen fast, right? They want, I want to be the best teacher tomorrow. And it's like, yeah, I get that. That's important. And I want you to be there too, but you can't be the best teacher tomorrow. What you can do is go a little bit closer to being that person by thinking about small changes in your practice, but you're not going to transform your, your practice in a month, in a semester, in a year, right? This is a, this is a slog and that nobody likes that, you know, nobody likes that. It's like, but, but again, it's like getting good at anything that's hard, right? It, It can't happen overnight. And can't, you know, I mean, I hate to summon Malcolm Gladwell, but, but the, you know, his point about the 10,000 hours of practice, well, you've had all this practice watching school teaching and now maybe in some cases doing school teaching. And what you have to now start doing is building your 10,000 hours of new kinds of practice. And that 10,000 hours is a lot of hours, right? Even if you do it every day for all your classes, like it's going to take a long time and, and you have to, you have to iterate and look at what you're bad at and and need to improve on and focus on those things and try and improve those. And then once those have improved, find a new area that you feel like you're weak and not doing the way you want and focus on that for a while. And, and, uh, nobody likes that answer, right? No, no, it's like, well, I just want to, I just want the equivalent of like the keto diet or the whatever that's going to help me lose all this weight. Um, so, so that I can be the weight I want to be. And it's like, well, that, that doesn't work. I mean, it works, but it doesn't work. Right. And, and so it's the same way. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's not a destination. It's a process. It's a, you know, and there's no quick way to, there's no silver bullets. No. And yeah. So I think the entry point coming back to like the, the way you frame this and and like where you start is I think um, starting with their own assumptions with learning their own, you know, um, not and their assumptions with teaching, what teaching is, right? Because yeah. I think that that model of the you know stand and deliver the person up there, you know, giving an amazing lecture, and that's the thing that causes you know great change in people. That's just not that doesn't jive with how you and I see learning. It's not, and it doesn't jive with how what research says, and it doesn't jive with what the next generation science standards are built upon. Yeah. Well, and you know, on some. <clears throat> deep gut level i think all teachers can do and can understand this but what they have chosen and i'll speak for myself when i was a teacher too like what what they what they have chosen is that it, i i have to do this because there's this goal and they haven't taken the backward um and the goal being my kids have i have to cover all this material i have this material that has to be covered and i can't spend all this time letting kids talk because then I won't get to everything. Right. If I don't get to everything, something bad is going to happen. They're not going to do well in the test. They're not going to be prepared for next year's class. They're not going to be prepared to go into the next level. Whatever it is, they they have a, a they have a perfectly reasonable, rational reason for this decision making. But what they haven't done is really, you know, and this goes back to the this persuasion stuff with McWhorter or not McWhorter, McRaney, um, and and this idea of like, okay, well, you as a science teacher, what do you want your kids to be able to do 
at the end of your class? How do you like, what do you imagine your goals to be for class? And then how is your teaching supporting that as a goal? And what is your evidence that you're being successful that way? Like ask them to sort of unpack, like what, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, and how are you being successful in the goals that you have, like independent of all this other stuff, like the external pressures are not going to change. The, right. the standards are not going to change, but you do have some control over your classroom. You have some agency, but you have to be thinking about your own ideas about how, what good science teaching looks like and how you're trying to get there. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a hard thing. This is, it's a lot harder than, you know, just, offering some really impassioned power uh, professional development slides. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, you and I have both gone to um, really excellent speakers and really mm -hmm. excellent. And when you leave, you just like, go, okay, I'm like, it, it gets you emotionally. It, like, mm -hmm. it, it like really, you know, charges you emotionally, but it, I don't always feel armed to like incorporate that, those practices. It's like, you know, I, I, there's, it's a motivational thing. I get motivated, mm -hmm. but I don't, I'm not like armed or skilled to be able to implement those changes. Like I think of like George Koros, who's like, he's one of these dudes, right? Mm -hmm. George Koros, he's uh innovator's mindset. Like he, he was on the circuit for a while there and any tech conference who would have him, <laughs> he mm -hmm. basically, and he's a really awesome speaker, but then yeah. you just go out and like, okay, I, I, I am motivated to do something, but I just don't know what to do, you know? And I think that's, that's the challenge is that yeah. in, if, if it's just going to be, you know, if it's going to be that, then the practice isn't going to change. Yeah. But the, you know, the, the thing that I recognize that, that makes this hard er, cause I agree <laughs> with you. This is all very hard. Like the, it's the, hard. Pro the process of the learning and the, the teaching at the individual level. So the, me in a classroom with science students or me in a classroom with pre-service teachers or me in a classroom with IU folks like that part is hard. Yeah. But then the next thing is those folks in particular, the IU folks have to go into these department or into these district contexts where the leadership is saying, look, I have 90 minutes for you come in and do a thing that's going to yeah. be valuable. And it's like, well, okay, that is broken. Like you asking me to come in for 90 minutes and thinking that that's going to make an impact that, and I'm not saying it can't make a small impact because it can, but you you can't really move practice in 90 minutes, right? Like you, you just can't. And so, so if the, if they come to them and, and so those administrators and so all of everyone has been enculturated into this notion of what learning is. And so your job ends up being trying to, to change the whole system's notion of what learning is, which, I mean, don't even get me started. Like you and I have been trying to do that essentially our whole careers, along yeah. with lots of other very smart uh, people all across the country trying to do this work. And yet how much is our our practices how much at the at the large national level have the practices of schooling changed not a lot so it what, is but hard I, I think it comes back to and we've talked about this you know you know the lordy stuff the you know the apprenticeship of observation like being you know you know that is a very different form of apprenticeship than the cognitive one right the cognitive mm -hmm. apprenticeship which is you know about you know 
bringing people into you know practice through practice, right? Mm-hmm. It's very different than you know this transmission model, which is the thing that we've all learned from, right? Yeah, sure. And we all have had that as the model of what excellent science instruction is, and and that is something that is it takes a long time to change that model. Well, and I think yes, and it's also that in addition to that model having to change that model has been the foundation for how we constructed schools how we constructed yeah. teacher education how we constructed uh, like all of the cultural practices around learning have been built on that model and so it's not just it, individuals have to sort of understand this but individuals do have to understand it and then individuals have to change the systems they're working in so that they better reflect those notions of that kind of learning where relationships actually matter and where you know it's not a rush to get to the end of a set of list of material or of of things that students need to learn that this is about a process like all of that you know, again, requires massive shifts in all sorts of things, not just individual mindsets of teachers. And that said, teachers can make change in their own classroom. And we've seen that. So it's not impossible no. at the local level to make change. But if we if we really want system change, we have to we have to impact a lot more people's thinking about what it means what it means to learn. For example, what do our standardized state assessments look like? Um, if those things yeah, don't reflect, they don't ch- if they don't change, there's going to be some real challenges ahead because yeah. that's the thing that, you know, we hear from teachers and also from the IU folk is that, okay, well, if the tests are still going to test large bodies of information and, and terms, and then it's going to be, uh, that's going to be so, um, inconsistent with the practice that we're we're yeah. trying to you know foster it's going to be so hard because we're gonna be like eh, hey look do this however the test the thing that you know all of you know science education is built upon in the state is about you know passing these keystones or passing the pssas hey you hey. know hey just ignore that you know yeah. So I will say there there are times when we have these conversations and and I, I guess this is where I, I need I need I need a pep talk. I hear what you're headed. I that I need a pep talk that I yeah. feel like oh, okay I'll give you a pep talk. You ready for a pep talk? I, I am okay. All right. So here's the thing, right? All that sounds this is the thing. This here's is the, the thing. thing. I'm going to give All you right. bullet points, Ali, so All you right. can write so you can write them down. I'm, I'm, I got my pencil out. I, you won't even have to interpret these because I'm going to say them so well that you'll know exactly what I mean. I, I I'm counting I, on you. I, this is what I do. I right. I distill everything down to bullet points and I give them to you in a way that you will unequivocally understand exactly what I mean. Are you going to share your screen so I can see the PowerPoint yeah, slides? I am. Yes. Okay. okay. Hold on. I got to pull up the slides now. <laughs> okay. Just be a second. I'll just get get the slides and then we're going to... Okay. So um, I, think, I think the pep talk is, yeah, it's hard and it takes a long time, but it's actually powerful and a lot of fun to engage in that process. And it initially it doesn't feel like it because you you feel like i'm bad right i'm bad at this um but just like just like it is with um you know again with any kind of difficult task like let's stick with guitar cuz i think that's or or musical instrument right so in the beginning nobody's good like nobody picks up a guitar and just 
Um, that's not a thing, right? So uh, that, thank you. That was my Eddie Van Halen. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was, that was great. That thank was you. great. Yeah, that right there. That. Put a smile on my face. Yeah. <laughs> And so, the dread, the dread I'm experiencing, yeah, has <laughs> it's, it's all been washed away with a few licks from Eddie Van Halen via mouth guitar. From Scott. Mouth, yes, um, it wasn't even air guitar; it was just so, mouth. Guitar. It's just mouth guitar, right? Well, I did. In fairness, I did move my fingers around a little bit. Nobody could see that. No. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, that the process, and this is why I think the thing that gets missed a lot is that you do need co colleagues. It really helps tremendously if you have a group of people that you can work with and they don't have to be in your school. They can be broadly, you know, a lot of the stuff that's happening now is over social media and things like that. There's Twitter, there's Facebook, there's other places. Well, I don't know about Twitter anymore, but there are yeah. places that you can go and, and connect with other folks, but, but you have to, you have to treat it like that. And once you, if you can get into that mindset of like, this is a thing that's, that, is going to take a long time to learn, but as you're doing it, you get these, um, I don't know how to describe them, but they're like epiphanies or moments of beauty where you really see what it looks like and how it, how it works. And you're just, they're transformative, right? Like yeah. we've all had those experiences as teachers where you're working with a kid and they have an aha moment and you're like, Oh, that felt really good. Like that kid yeah. I think really gets it. But when you, when you see a whole classroom making that kind of transformation and all of that, even, in, even if it's just glimmers in the beginning, it gives you so much, um, joy that you, you say, Oh my God, this is what it could be like. Like every day could be like this. And, and in fairness, every day won't be like that because just like with the aha moments, but that change, seeing that change can be incredibly powerful and, uh, and feels good. It just genuinely feels good. And you start to, you know, I think on some of, you know, we talk about internalized all sorts of things, right? Oppression, racism, all these things that our system has set us up to to have. And I think when you start to see this transformation and agency from children in their own learning, it really does feel good. It's like, I don't know how else to describe it, but but that process can keep you going. And as you, and as you practice more, you get more and more of those days or those moments, and it continues to fuel your change in practice. But but it does require stepping into that space and starting to try. And, um, and I think that, that part, you know, can be, even that part can be hard. Um, sorry, quick digression for me now. This, Ooh. have you heard of this term of a micro? Yes. A micro. Yes. A micro. Yes. I so have not. Well, I'll just briefly talk about it. It's a psychological thing. Um, but it has to do with procrastination and there's different kinds of, procrastination that have to do with your nervous system. So a lot of the new research in, in a lot of, um, a lot of sort of what we would typically call mental illness or difficulties with, with our own sort of cognition and brains is that a lot of this is very biological, right? So, um, it has to do with a lot more with feelings and with, um, with physiology than it does with thinking, which again, we can talk about that. That's a whole nother episode, but, um, but this idea that there's two ways to respond. So when you procrastinate, you either have a, a sympathetic response or a parasympathetic response, which has to do with your nervous system. And they you either shut down, right? That's the typical version. Like, oh, not the typical. That's one version. So like you're, you're procrastinating, you're overwhelmed. And so you just lay on the couch and watch television. You don't move, right? Because you're just 
like you're you're basically overwhelmed. Your your yeah. nervous system's overwhelmed. And then the other version of that is the parasympathetic, where you you like reorganize your sock drawer and you alphabetize your bookshelves and you you like pr- you, you productive do, procrastination. Yeah, right, you do work, but it's not the work you're supposed to be doing or exactly. should be doing. Right, right. Uh, you do lots of that. So the micro yes is the idea that. To break that cycle, to break yourself out of either of those cycles, you need just a tiny, you can start with just a tiny change, a micro yes. So the example, the I'll have to find the woman who name of the woman who does this work because it she, sounds really interesting what I've seen of it. It's like if you're laying on the couch and you can't move, like just change your body position, like move your legs to the floor and sit up. And just doing that can break you out of this cycle of procrastination and and um and get you moving again in a in a productive direction so i think i think the analog here is like we're in cycles right we're in cycles of teaching in a particular way for lots of reasons and to break yourself out of that cycle all you need to do is start with a micro yes a small change just make a small change in practice and see what happens but to to do that, you have to understand where you're going, right? You have to understand what you're trying to accomplish, and that goes all the way back to this idea of, well, how, you know, how do I how do I want to teach? What does that look like in my classroom, and how do I start to think about moving that direction? Well, my my existential crisis has now been averted. Thank you Thank for gosh. the talk for for the enthusiastic and emotional. It's a it's a micro yes right there for me. Oh, <laughs> look at that. I'm going to find the name. You, you, you tell me about something because I think we, we can be joyful now. You tell me okay. about something that brings you joy and I'll find the micro yes person while you're. So I, I've been, you know, I've been trying to read a lot more this year. That's one of the, my um, new year's resolutions. I don't really do that, but I am trying to like, you know, really, you know, my goal is to read at least 30 books this year. Why 30? I don't know. It's just a number. And so I'm I'm working through. I think I, I started getting back on Goodreads, you know, to try to update. And mm-hmm. I think that's the thing this year is I like read 30 books, you know. And so um, so I've been doing – I do most of my reading um, in the middle of the night <laughs> when <laughs> I have – when I wake up at like 3 o'clock in the morning because that's pretty standard. So the other day I finished a book and then I'm middle of the night I'm looking for a new book. And it was a recommendation from uh-huh. from Hoopla, and it was uh, "Dark Dark Matter" by Blake Crouch. Oh. Mm. I I don't know the author. I didn't know the book. I read. Um, it was it was described as a thriller, which is one of my go to um, types of literature, uh-huh. um, types of fiction. I like thrillers, um, but it was also it's a it's a physics book. Right, it's it's based on the fact that um, one of my fa- one of my favorite movies is Sliding Doors. Right, it's uh-huh. the it's the you you have a choice, you take one choice versus the other mm-hmm. choice, and here's how these things could play out. Well, that's what this book is based on. I'm not going to get tell too much about it because it's actually coming to Apple TV. They made a series out of it that's coming oh, out cool. in April. So what happens is it's uh, this guy is a physicist, um, and he at some point. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, physicist. Yes, so he's a he's a physics guy, and and uh, at some point, you know, he had the option of marrying uh, a woman or not marrying her, mm-hmm. and in this world, he chooses to marry her, and so, but what that does is that means that he has unfulfilled aspirations of you know scientific research, 
And so one of his best friends wins this big, huge award because he's, you know, really in the science. He's doing all the things that, you know, Jason, the guy who's the center of the book, would have wanted to do. But he was, you know, you know, spending time with his family, helping to raise his son and all that. Um, but then the crazy stuff happens because the the work of the the physics work that he's in, interested in is around multiversal stuff, sure, right? Yes. And so the Jason in the other world who becomes like the the other choice, right? Yeah. He, while he aspires to great things in science, he's unfulfilled with his mm. family life. And so he decides that he's going to find the world where this Jason is, this Jason who has the awesome family life, and switch bodies. Mm. But that. So I'll yeah. leave it there. Gonna, because it there. I'll, and like this is chapter one, like chapter yeah. two, like chapter one or two. Like I'm not giving anything away. Yeah. And every time I think I had the book figured out, it changed and like where it ended up, I would have never predicted that's how it would have happened. Cause when, when I, you know, there's a lot like, it's like not time travel cause you're not traveling through time or going back in time, but there's a lot of multiversal stuff, which, you know, if you kind of like that stuff, um, which I think there's so much of it right now, like with, you know, mm, everything, everywhere, everywhere, all once, you know, all of the, you know, Marvel movies, it's just everywhere that yeah. this is like a, I'm going to call it a trope. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a form of fiction, right? Yeah. Where there's multiverse of choices, multiverse of people, you know, so I think that's the thing that uh, I really enjoyed about this, but the twists and turns, it was, and I'm going to read other books by this author because it was, it was really, it was an easy read, but it was also deep. It made me think about stuff and it made me think about the choices I've made in my life and about like, you know, I'm, I'm not a big regret person. I, you know, but you know, that is one of the things that's a theme in the book is about like how people deal with regret. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good read. It's real, and it's a quick read. It's like four or 500 pages and you feel like, like you can read it in a night cause you just don't want to put it down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I don't want to play therapist here, but, um, you know, I, I know you, uh, you are a big sort of fate, not yeah. regret guy. And I am, but yet even, even then I was thinking as you were describing this, this sounds a lot like the midnight library, which is another thing that you've recommended and got right. joy out of. And it's got a similar vibe to it, which sure. is like. Oh, dealing with regret and how do you think about regret and what does that mean in your life? And I, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like I, I secretly have regrets. No, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying like, I go, well, I'm like, like, yeah, I am you know, solidly living my best life. You know, yeah. I am like, I'm like, if there's an Ollie to someplace who made different choices, they want to, you don't want to change places. They want to trade with me. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're like, yeah, for sure. So, they're making a list of Ollie's and you're top yeah. of the list. Right. Yeah, well, and that, well, I'm gonna pick an alley. That's the alley I'm gonna pick. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. that's good. All right. So brief interlude. Um, so the the book I'm talking about is called The Science of Stuck. It's by Britt Frank. Um, and you can also, if you want uh, just a conversation about it, the You Are Not So Smart. I've talked about this before. The You Are Not So Smart podcast. Um, she came. She came on episode 252. I think she's on a couple other episodes as well, but. It's a really, it's interesting. Anyway, that's not currently what's bringing me joy. Um, but I, I, so what is bringing me joy is something that I was not expecting. It's a small joy, but it's fascinating little thing. So um, the other day I was looking at uh, Apple. So with Apple, if you um, sign up for their, whatever their sort of 
package of stuff, one of the things you get access to is the arcade, which means there are a bunch of games on your phone that you can download. And I don't play a lot of games on my phone, but I play little games here and there. Um, most of them are like puzzle games when I'm, so when I'm standing in line at the DMV or whatever, I have something to do with myself. But, um, but recently I, I read about this game on, on there called Lifeline Plus, and it was coming out in the future. So I signed up to be notified. And so it notified me a couple of days ago and I've been looking at it. And basically it's, it's a choose your own adventure game. Um, but it's framed as this person and I won't say much about it in case you want to try it, but um, this person has crash landed on a moon. It's somewhere else. It's not the moon. It's you're in, it's in the future someplace. And this person has crash landed on this planet and they have a radio, but the only person they're in contact with is you. And so they're basically trying to survive this post crash environment. And you get to make choices for them essentially by giving them advice. So they say, Oh, you know, I've got, I, I just crash landed. I, there's like part of the ships over there and part of the ships over there. Which way do you think I should go? And then you ask them to go. And then if you make, if you make wrong choices, they die or something similar. Wow. And then, and then you, but you can, you can roll back to any decision you've made and make a new decision. And so, but it lets you roll back as far as you want or whatever. So, but but it also happens in a sort of real time way. So for example, like the character's name is Tyler. So if Tyler is going to sleep, it says or doing some task like, oh, I'm going to see if I can get into the galley to see if I can get some food. But the door's jammed. You know, it'll just say Tyler is busy, and you won't, you can't communicate to Tyler, and he can't, com he doesn't communicate with you, and you just have to wait. So so it gives you this sense of like it's happening in real time, which is which is sort of cool. And you just get notifications and you're just walking along and all of a sudden you'll get like four notifications that, Oh, Tyler, you know, is communicating with you and, and has, has some questions. What should he do? What should he do? Um, so I've been enjoying it. It's, it's that silly. Sounds and, awesome. But it's, but it's, yeah, it's really, it's, it, it brings me back to the days when like, that's what computer games were, right. You know, that you would go up and it says, do you knock on the door or do you try and right. open the door or whatever? And you get to choose. And then based on that, yeah. what was that yeah. Zork? Zork. Yeah. Well, there's so many games like that, right? It was but I like, think Zork was the original. Yeah. Uh, do you kill the dragon or do you right. run away? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's it, what's, what's unique text, is text adventures. That's what they call yeah. it. Yeah. Right. It's a, but it's like kind of a, a piggybacks off of the book. Right. I mean, it's all yeah. about, you know, yeah. the choices you, you make and, and yeah, and that's, that's definitely a theme in the book. It's definitely, I think a, a theme of the book about like the choices you make and the branches that happen and, and all yeah. that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So it's all about choices and, and actually that goes all the way back to what this episode was about. Right. Cause like, sure. this is about making choices. Like you Look have to you. make choices about the kind of teacher that you want to be or the kind of, you know, yeah. Educator that you want to be. And that, and that is going to put you on a path and it's going to be a different path than you were on before. Um, so yeah. yeah. Look at you. That's what, usually what I do at the end of the episode. Oh, sorry sorry to steal up. your, your oh, no, it's good. That's it, I, it, I'm, you know, I, it's good that you're carrying some of that weight. Cause I'm yeah. used to that. I need to carry some more water on this show because you're, you're, you're doing all the work, man. No, I, I don't know about that. I think the <laughs> listeners know, they know <laughs> I'm here for the dad jokes. That's what I'm here uh, for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and the uh, accent and the, <laughs> The one accent. The one accent. Yeah, that's what you're here for. You're the voice actor and the dad jokes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and right there, that's the that's the talent I bring right there. Yeah. 
There's yeah. a different Ollie in a different universe. Yeah. Maybe bringing more in a different podcast. Not this Maybe. One. Yeah. Well. But you don't we'll want see. to be that Ollie. I don't want to be him. I, I'm happy being this guy. You're the right so, Ollie. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. You're the right Scott. Thanks, and, man. And we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now.